March 31st is the last day we posted a new episode of the Devin Kershaw Show. And depending on where you stand in the COVID time machine, that might as well be a light year or a nanosecond. We connected with Devin earlier this week in Oslo, Norway, and started chatting about the time that was and the time that will be as we lurch into fall and then winter. In other words, it's about time we rebooted this project. On the list of topics discussed, staying put when the air quality is grim, a brief discussion of doping, altitude training, and the prospects for a World Cup season. Thanks for catching up with the podcast. And as always, if you have questions for Devin, you can send them to Devin at FasterSkeeter.com or Jason at FasterSkeeter.com. Thanks. Hey, Jason, how's it going? Uh, I'm doing well. Doing great. Nice. Yep. Can still breathe? That's a good question. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting. I mean, obviously, if people are listening here, we have we have some intense uh, wildfire smoke here in Oregon. Um, and, and the interesting thing is today, I was just looking up, you know, air quality index, you know, the AQI, do you, do you know what that is? Yeah. Yeah. So that's like, I sure okay. Do. Yeah. I'm sure as an athlete, you become familiar with that. So, oh yeah. Zero. Cam or two, cam or used that's to right. up in, 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 it hasn't, I mean, there used to be forest fires that would rip through there. Not not in Camor, but smoke, but smoke would come through. I was in Camor, non sequitur here, two summers ago, picking up my older kid, and then we went over to go to the Bugaboos, and oh, you lucky bastard! Yeah, I'll send you a photo. <laughs> so there was some photographer there who uh, took a photo of my son and I. I'll send this while I'm on the phone with you, and it this is like midday wildfire smoke and it looks like sunset it's pretty pretty awesome uh i was having a chit chat with my son which i we can talk about later about what that pertained to anyway um (laughs) so yeah lots of smoke here aqi index today is about 310 which seems like we're breathing fresh air but it's still in the hazardous zone but for like the past four days it's been in the 500s so relatively it feels a little better today So yeah, and I wish all those wish all those athletes, uh, you know, be careful with that sort of stuff because you get one set of lungs, and and if you pick Nordic skiing, you know, mm-hmm. uh, doing some alternative training or training in a treadmill inside or taking care of your lungs, uh, you know, it's it's worth the ten days of annoyance or maybe it's a couple of weeks of annoyance instead of just trashing yourself to get out that to get that three hour roller ski. Were you pretty good about that? The fidelity to like go being inside? Yeah. Yeah, I was. I, I was when I was older. I, you know what I mean? It's like everybody's memories. They're, they're not to be trusted. So I'm sure, I'm sure when I was in my young twenties, I struggled more with that than, than later on in my career. But I mean, it, yeah, it's, it's so easy to just get stir crazy and want to get out there and, and do that roller ski or that run. But if, if it's just so smoky and, uh, you got to take care of yourself. So that that's my advice to all the all the young kids out there that are rip roaring, ready to go. <laughs> um, how's the air quality in uh, Lillehamme? Oh, it's great. I'm actually in Oslo right now as we as we speak, and okay. it's uh, it's great. It's been it was just like a fantastic fall day. Oh, nice. You know, like I actually, you know what, I, you know, this is uh, September. I think September could be in the running for my favorite month of the year. 
The trees are just starting to turn. You get that crisp morning air. I agree. Uh, Best it's month. It's cold in the morning, and then when that when that when it warms up, it still can get like fairly warm. Like you, today, I was walking around in a t-shirt in town, and even this evening, I went out for a run. And I mean, I was running in shorts too as well. So it's uh, yeah, I know September. Nice days in September are hard to beat. This is true. Definitely, my when it's normal, that is my favorite month. I have to say, like I grew up on the East Coast, and the one thing I will promise myself before I am per- I perish is uh, I need to spend a fall back east because the falls here in Bend, honestly, um, we have a variety of trees in the city just because they're all sort of exotics that people have planted. So you get some cool color, but out in the forest for the most part, there's not a ton of color around bend. What about like larches and stuff? Are there any larches down near you? You know, not that they're rare. That's a good point, but very rare. And we have a larch across the street from us. That's not, I mean, this is not the proper elevation for them around here, but that's, but I get to see it right across the street. Um, and it's good for the kids to see, oh yeah, look, there's a type of tree that loses its needles. Not a ton of larches, not a ton of aspen, um, lots of brown grass. That's a little bit of color. So, yeah, that's kind of, yeah, no, that's, that's, yeah. But I agree the East, I grew up in the East as well. So, I mean, the, the maple trees and the oak trees and everything in the East is just an explosion of color. No, it's, I agree. I, uh, so, so Oslo and Lillehammer, you get that. There's a lot of deciduous trees and stuff. So running in the woods, you got that, that, that crunchy leaves under your feet. And although, although Norway is just so wet, you know, like it's just wet. So yep. you get wet. And the feet, smell. What I'm, you know, I, Norwegians love running around in like swamps and stuff and think it's great training and have so much fun. But for me, Jason, honestly, like give me a nice dry deer Valley trail. <laughs> any day any day of the week with like with the gold aspens all over the place i'll take that any day over running through a bunch of nasty ass swamps here in norway <laughs> but don't they say that's like the secret weapon uh is like running in that muck yeah who but, knows but me camilla said it was the secret weapon too but it turns out it was epo so I don't know. <laughs> That's well. Yeah, uh, we have to qualify all this stuff. Yeah, exactly. Um, speaking of which, and I mentioned this in the notes, like I'm in the middle of reading that Rodchenkov book. Yeah. Uh, oh God, so depressing. Oh, it's so depressing. I haven't read it. I've just read the excerpts that uh, have been published, and um, yeah, for sure. I mean, it, it. You've known more than me since you're reading the book right now, but I mean. It, it, the excerpt, the excerpts I've, I've read and everything. I mean, it, it reads like some sort of like kind of bad spy movie in a way. Um, I mean, like it, it, you're an, it's, it appeared that during his generation, so he was a very good runner, this Rodchenkov yeah. fellow. Very good. Um, not quite Olympic caliber, but just seemed to be like just below that kind of level. Uh, but if you weren't doping, you were an extreme outlier. Yeah, that's what uh, I it's so depressing, eh? Oh, yeah. I mean, maybe yep. you still see uh, uh, the whole, the whole. The, I mean, the whole Sochi thing, and then like the fallout, well, non fallout from that. By the end of the whole thing, it's, uh, um, you know, is 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 pretty depressing how that whole thing played out. And um, you know, you have some sports like track and field have have continued to ban the Russian Federation. I mean, they can compete as independents and stuff, but they have to go through a fairly significant proof process that they're not involved but um in their federations 
development programs and stuff like that. I mean, like athletes that, that train in the U S and have trained in the U S for de- a decade type thing, they can get exempt and, and race for under a neutral flag. But I agree. It's, it's just, um, it's a bad situation in, in cross country skiing has chosen to do nothing with it really. I mean, they did, it, it, it sucked for, for some of the guys involved, like Ustiagov, for example, couldn't race in Pyeongchang, if you remember that. Um, mm-hmm. and, and that whole thing was, that was, you know, it could be argued, it's just, people argue both ways because they're like, well, how much was Ustiagov involved compared to someone like Lakoff, for example, which by all accounts was straight up <laughs> the chosen one <laughs> in Sochi. Um, so, you know, you feel bad for him in that sense, if that's true. Um, but at the end of the other side, when you read things like that, uh, run, yeah, Rochekov's book and, and everything, it's, uh, it's hard to know who to believe other than where there's smoke, there's fire. And, uh, there's been a lot of fires in Russia over the last decades, not just the last decade, but for, you know, going back into the Soviet area era with, um, with doping. So, but it's, it's just a it's just a depressing situation all around, and it, yeah, cross country skiing hasn't seemed to be able to figure it out, which is fair because it is murky. I mean, I'm not I'm not blaming Fist too too badly, and I actually that's not true. I do blame Fist a lot <laughs> with botching this, with botching it, with dropping sure. the ball. I do blame Fist, but but at the same time, I understand it's a complicated situation. Okay, so on to something. Let let's uh. So that's our little intro there, but we've been obviously off the radar since March. Yeah. <laughs> the race season was canceled abruptly due to COVID. Um, I'm just trying to think. The Home and Colon, I think, was the last race that was run, correct? It was. It was. The 50 and 30K, respectively. Correct. And then uh, things were shut down in Quebec, Minneapolis, and Canmore. And everyone sort of went home and we all know how this played out. Nationals, everything. Oh yeah. Everybody's been following along uh, with the COVID situation. And we, we did end things quite abruptly and sorry for those that were, were left hanging, but really there was not a whole lot of news. (laughs) Nothing happy (laughs) to report on. Uh, It was definitely nothing happy. You got kids. Mm -hmm. So do I. Um, and when all schools and everything close, and these aren't these aren't excuses; these are just the realities of life. Uh, there's a lot of things that got thrown into uh, got thrown into question, and and uh, that was that. And then and then really, there was just so much uncertainty with national teams. People couldn't train together. Training camps weren't happening for a lot of nations, um, especially early in the year. So even in I know I'm fast forwarding from March into That's May. We can but, fast forward, yeah. Uh, May, 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 June, there just wasn't a lot of action happening uh, around the world. Like here in Norway, the Norwegian team wasn't allowed to, to train together. Um, in the U.S., of course, as you guys have been following along, the Americans that listen to this, uh, people weren't, I mean, in their clubs, they were allowed to train a little bit together or not really allowed, but they were. And um, yeah, so it was just a really weird time. But now now it looks, it seems, not seems, and that doesn't just seem like Norwegian, the Norwegian team has been doing training camps. The Russian teams have, have been doing training camps. The Germans have done training camps. Uh, the Canadians, the ones that are based in the East have been training well together. And the ones that are based in the West have been training well together. Uh, there hasn't been a big camp altogether uh, because of travel restrictions and stuff like that. But they found some solutions, the same with the U.S. So things are happening. And I mean, there will be some sort of racing that happens this year, but I'm sure we'll get to that a little later. Yeah, and so I'm just curious, like what was 
life like in, you know, where you live? Not a, how, how big is a little Hummer? Like say like 20,000 people? Yeah, it's 27,000 people. I think I should actually Wikipedia that, but yeah, around there, 20 to 25 to 30,000 people. Okay. Not a, not a huge town, no. small city with, you know, outlying farmland cabins and so forth. Yeah. Um, what was it like just wandering around town, say in like May compared to now? Like Oof. are people masking up or is that restriction no, over? No, what does it look like? We, you know what? Norway never instituted a uh, mask policy in public. Really? Nope. Never. Um, so, but it was spooky, you know, it, Oslo for sure when things blew up in in march uh oslo of course got just blew up really fast based on the fact that it's the biggest population in the country uh yeah so that that was not that people were there's some fear there's some like real fear with the whole thing people being being uh people on ventilators and people in the hospital and stuff like that with complications there's actually one patient here in norway that was on a ventilator for 64 days if you can believe that yeah he lived and now he's going through a quite a brutal um rehabilitation program but he's he's fine he's but yeah he couldn't walk he's yeah anyway so there was uh, there was quite a bit of fear but you know what the the norwegian government did a really good job and they were able to to communicate very effectively. I think the prime minister uh, did a great job. The, the health team, the health, yeah, the everything, everything in Norway went really well. And actually the, the, the R number, the reproduction value is mm-hmm. just sunk. So by, by June, like life was back to normal, really. I mean, restaurants were open and you could walk around, but there was travel was heavily restricted. You couldn't leave the country. Um, I mean, you could, but there was, it was very restricted. And, um, you know, and then in the summer, Norwegians really just chilled out in the summer, but they love summer. They just can't say no. So but they're outside. Yeah, they're outside. Yeah, but you know, they they have to vacation. So 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 like instead of going all to Central Europe and getting some sun, Norwegians really traveled around their home country here in Norway. But uh, yeah, I know hotels were open and restaurants and everything, and and then of course in the fall now we have a, a bit of an uptick again, but it's fairly localized. Oslo's not too too bad right now. Uh, Bergen is quite bad at the university there. The the business school in Bergen has been hit fairly hard, and it's closed. Everything's online there, so it's it's a mix. But it's uh, no, definitely we here in Norway they got off uh, okay, especially compared to other countries around the world. And just to clarify for folks who, when we throw out the R value, the R number, it's like uh, a number that's reflective of how many people a person who is infected may spread it to. Is that correct? Exactly. And then, so it's just, I mean, we don't need to get all into the math of exponential growth curves and stuff, but the, but the reality of the fact is if that number is under one, the virus, at least that wave of the virus is quote unquote in retreat. (laughs) So, and the, the Norwegian, the Norwegian government was really good about communicating that with, with the population. I think they did a great job with that to keep that. It was, that was not under wraps. It was all out in the open. Um, and how's so, that value now? Uh, it's pretty up. good. Nah, yeah, mean, it's pretty good, but it's it creeping. Is. It's creeping up again. It, it's like I said, there's some local, localized outbreaks um, and and stuff like that. So we're not in a great position here in Norway comparatively to June, for example. But that was also expected, and they were also good at communicating that 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 uh, to think that this would all just like be well one and done was never something that was communicated to the public and and with skiers as well. I mean, 
yeah, people, the, the athletes around Norway were, were communicated with to really be careful and take care of yourself. Cause, uh, it, you know, your lungs are kind of important when you're Nordic skier. So, so when we think of like the upcoming season, which doesn't start, it starts in, um, in Ruka in Finland, I think something it does it. Does it? Well, it's <laughs> it supposed does, to, right? Yeah, it does, yeah. I mean, yeah, it's exactly. supposed to in I want like November twenty sixth or twenty seventh or something. So they have some time, Correct. and then it it leapfrogs over to Norway. Um, yeah, to the Lammer. Yeah, and I'm more I'm more familiar right now with Norway's rules, and I think they have a cap on sort of public outdoor events like a race at 200 people and that's correct that 200 people cap the way i read it does not include like race organizers it would it would include i guess certainly athletes maybe the coaches and their entourages but i'm not certain on that yes no it would it would so this is a big discussion right now that's going on uh, here in the country but also like around all of europe i mean this is where this whole thing becomes uh, a true, a true nightmare scenario. <laughs> like every athlete comes with so many support staff. If you start factoring in therapists and, mm-hmm. and wax technicians and coaches and, and volunteers, like you said, even if they're counted or not counted, they're around and, and to get a uh, outdoor event like Nordic skiing off the ground, it's just, it's, it's a world cup has way more than 200 people, even at its absolute minimum. So the big fist meetings that are going to happen early in October will give a lot of clear. Will give. Will have to give a lot of clarity to the to the World Cup season. But man, it just doesn't look good to have any sort of semblance of normalcy uh, on the World Cup circuit this year. And is that? I mean, like here in the U.S., they've already canceled like U.S. ski and snowboard cross country national level events. Now I have to make sure I get that right because I know they're going to go through with Alpine free ride snowboard. It's, it's the specific cross country events that have been canceled at the national level. So I don't want anyone like, again, I'm reiterating, not the regional level, national level, meaning like senior nationals, super tour junior nationals. And that's, that's sad. But I mean, the U S is just in such a dire situation and has been so poorly managed through this. Uh, It's uh, that's the, that's the smart thing to do in the current, the current climate. I mean, Canada has, has not taken that decision with Nordic Canada. And I think they have a good solution with a kind of like, western based races eastern based races so they they are in some ways regional plus races that are happening uh and then but they're still planning to go ahead with collecting everyone together for a uh for a world championship trials event and and nationals hasn't been fully canned as yet although in the current climate nationals is the worst event to have because you have so many so many categories parents everything it's thousands of people there but but regardless so there there if there's going to be a world championship they've said that they're going to really fight to have a world championship trials and um, that's impressive so canada has had a, a, a it's looking like they have a good situation norway is just trying you know there's been a lot of talk saying like oh the norwegian cup won't be affected but again like i don't know how that's possible because the norwegian cups i've been to are yeah over a thousand people all told together there so I, there's a lot of uncertainty and i think this will become clear in the next month let's say yeah are people talking about it in lillehammer about oh yeah like what this may look like or what the likelihood oh. is or is it like let's just wait no, right now with the World Cup, it's let's just wait because they don't have any control over that, really, right? Sure. Like it's the it's, it's fist that decides. But 
but for the regional races type thing, I mean, I know, you know, athletes are amazing. Like the athletes I've met, the athletes I talked to here in Norway, like they're just doing their thing. They're training, mm -hmm. they're focused on their, their goals. They're working hard towards the, the goals. And that's on the national team level and down to like a Norwegian cup level. I haven't met any athletes that are, yeah, I honestly have not met any, any athletes myself that are like, oh, what's the point? Like, this is just, this sucks. I don't know. We're not even going to get to race. And like, just, there's been no despondent athletes that I've come across. And those that I've talked to in Canada also have kept, kept their focus and their head in the sand and they're just doing their work. But I, it, I would find it really hard. You know, I was talking to Alex the other day on the phone and we were discussing like, man, in the late stages of our career, if we were faced with this, like it would have been so hard to motivate ourselves to, to really dig deep if we thought we only had a year left in our career or two years left in our career. Like it's just, right. horrible, it's just a tough situation for the athletes to be in, but the staff in general like here in Norway have done a great job in communicating with the athletes and on a lot of different levels in, in Canada as well. So, and I'm, sh I'm sure us is the same, although I haven't talked to Matt in a while, but um, you know, they, they, everyone's in the same boat. The, I'm, but I'm just thinking of like the chronological, like the carrot, when you think about the Olympic cycle here, it's not like just after Pyeongchang, right? We're almost, I mean, after this no. winter, you know, it's another nine months to the Olympics. Oh, it's on. Oh, it's on. Yeah, no. Exactly. So that's, I mean, presumably. I think that has something. Oh, for sure. For sure. It has something. And then also two athletes are good about uh, rationalizing. And if this season just becomes like nuked, for example, and there's like barely any international races or none, like in the worst case scenario, there's no international races. Uh, you're right. That carrot of the Olympics in the next year and, and things can change quickly. So things have been changing quickly already. So the, it, it, I do understand that athletes that have the Olympic carrot in front of them uh, and the, that, that'll be a huge motivator, but it's still just, it's a big challenge. It's a huge challenge for these, for these athletes and staff. So I really, I really tip my hat to those that are, that are in it right now. Cause I, I feel like it would be, a, it would have been a big challenge for me, especially with the young family and, and being far from home, that sort of thing. So that, or far from Canada. So that, that, uh, that's a challenging time for sure, but it'll be really interesting. I'm, I'm fascinated to see how this, how this, uh, gets solved or if there will be any, I mean, if you look to diamond league track and field, yeah. they've done a good job. I mean, there's been some fantastic, Fantastic. There's been some fantastic track races happening. When I saw the cycling calendar, I laughed out loud and thought this was the stupidest thing I've ever seen in my life to try and compress like the major cycling events into two and a half months, but they're doing it. And it's been exciting. I've been following the Tour de France like every other year and, and the, the classics, I can't call them the spring classics because they're, they're not happening in March, <laughs> right, and right. April, but, but, um, but you know, like Milan San Remo was incredibly exciting and, uh, they're doing it. So, so cross country skiing has some sports to model after at, at least it, but, uh, at the same time, you know, the IAAF and, and UCI is a little bigger organization than FIS and especially cross country, especially the cross country department. You know, I'm just trying to think out loud here. There were some interesting events that were posted early on, uh, in COVID, maybe in like April, May, where there were track events where they were semi-virtual, right? So they had these Norwegians compete. Yeah. Yeah, they had that in Bislet. Yeah. Yeah. And that Norwegians competing against maybe people Kenyans. in... Kenyans. Okay. Yeah, okay. In Nairobi. Yeah, oh, they were in great. Nairobi. For yeah, some reason, yeah, I thought were. they were in Paris, but okay. No, no, they were in Nairobi. So that was just kind of a, a bit... 
has a bit gimmicky, but it was interesting. So it was really cool to see them try and solve these solutions. But then right, really, like right. not so long after, I mean, fairly long after Bislet, I guess. But at the same time, like Monaco, those that follow track and field, I mean, like the Monaco Diamond League was, there was no, like the, the stands weren't packed, but uh, it was just fantastic competitions with a lot of the top athletes in place competing and the times were blistering fast and stuff. So, so it has been, it has been interesting, but it's, so there, that's what I mean. There is some models that, that have shown, but, but, but skiing, you know, winter too, oh, people get so sick in the winter and then traveling I and, and I don't know how you move all these athletes and staff around on airplanes with gear and uh, oof, man, I, it, well, you know, it's a moving target. So let's just hope it moves in a different direction soon. <laughs> this is where it's like, I, I mentioned this in one sort of news brief on Faster Skier like a month or two months ago. And I was plugging this podcast I listened to that someone turned me on to called Twiv. Have you heard of this? Okay, I never heard of it. No, never. It's just going to become your new favorite, Devin. It, I, maybe. Uh, this Week in Virology. Oh, mm-hmm. Yes. It's yeah, I can get into that. It's killer. It's sometimes the sometimes the episodes are like two and a half hours long, but again, it's this week in virology, so it's obviously all about viral viruses. And their tagline is the viruses that make you sick. So, oh wow, it's pretty good stuff. They're probably they're probably just blowing up right now. Think of how stoked they are with their numbers. Oh, they are blowing up. That's what's so cool. It's like these sort of PhD virologists, epidemiologists. (laughs) <laughs> and they're loving it. They're like in the New York Times all the yeah, time. Exactly but hilarious. it's one of those things where they've been talking about recently. So in my off hours, I'm trying to paint my house. So something like a two and a half hour podcast on viruses is awesome. Oh, so they've been talking about the prospect of winter and how just, you know, let's just say the prospects are great. Yeah, of course, because we're all inside, and, right? Like that's yep. the problem. Yep. Yep. So... I, that's sort of been my lens as I think about what is a ski season going to look like. I'm like, oh yeah, well it's winter. You know, the the frequency of colds, flu is already pronounced. I throw this in there, and who knows? But yeah, yeah. Yep. Oh, I know, and I, I think I think in, in a perfect world, if I'm going to make some predictions, I I would lo- I would probably predict that there will be some World mm-hmm. Cups. Uh, yep. I don't think the full World Cup calendar that that that's a bridge too far. I, I, I can't expect a full world cup calendar, even though FIS has kept pretty tight lipped about it. Uh, the world championships, I'm really hopeful that they can create a situation to get the world championships off the ground. And if FIS has to kick in some money themselves to, to help fund it, because, you know, like if they can't have any public at the event, I mean, Oberstdorf, uh, it's been huge in the past in Oberstdorf, especially with fans and the whole town with the hotels and everything. So, so if they if this is serious about having the world championships, I think they can do it, but they're going to have to kick in money themselves to the organizing committee for the loss for the loss of revenue. But but you will also gain some revenue with TV when there's nothing else happening. Um, but uh, so so I would best case scenario a, a reduced World Cup calendar uh, and a world championship that can can go without without fans, and that's I think that's the best we can hope for. Is there talk? I mean, like, I, I know people might think we need to stay in our lands here, but, you know, we observe. No, it's best not to. Maybe sometimes <laughs> it's best not to. Exactly. For you it is, but for me it doesn't matter. <laughs> I don't know about me, but um, 
So, you know, here in the U.S., we've got Major League Baseball, which seems to, you know, the teams are traveling from city to city. Uh, They've had some great. Yeah, they've had some (laughs) flare-ups, right? Um, Oh, yeah. You've got the NFL, the football season, which just started. I'm so clueless, but it just started this weekend. yesterday. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, no, exactly. How many weeks are you going to get in on this? Like three, four? I don't know. (laughs) I I mean, who knows, right? I mean, and and then we have the NBA, which seems like, boy. But it's cost them a ton of money. I don't know if you've been following that. Well, I'm sure it has cost them a lot of this. This bubble has been so costly but they but it's been exciting i mean the basketball's been great and um people are staying healthy and uh but it but it's uh, you know cross-country skiing just can't create a bubble like the nba i mean that, that there's there's it's been reported that that the nba has spent over a hundred million already for this Ch- whole bubble project. but that's got to be chump change compared to their it is market what the revenue in china is, for sure yeah, no, for sure. But still, if you still just think about it, like cross country skiing to create a total I bubble for, for one month, it's just, it's just not realistic. What, what do you think about here? We're just, I'm just, it's not necessarily I'm throwing to see what sticks here, but I'm just kind of curious thinking about a country like Norway, which, which most often, I know there was a blip last year where I think in Lillehammer, there weren't a ton of fans, but maybe the weather was horrible for a little bit. I forget. Um, yeah, I know there was there was a lot of fans. Me. There's a lot of fans for the cross country events, but there's there's just like the Nordic combined. It's just everybody leaves and 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 the fans. And but also too, okay. um, uh, like I live in the okay. summer, but I have no. I have absolutely no. I'm not even close to being like a Lillehammer local, and I pride myself in not being one. And it, it's like people from Lillehammer, you know, they just want to go skiing themselves. You know what I mean? No, I, I got it. I got it. Yeah. When you think about how just ski insane people are in Norway, the fact that Lillehammer brings out, yeah, like let's say at its best, like 15,000 fans or so, or 17,000 fans when you have like home and coal and which get no, but when you look at home it's and pretty coal, good. it's two hours away. Also yeah. it's only two hours away. So, or two fifteen. Uh, so, so you'd expect more, but it's mm-hmm. also the time of year. I think, you know, Norwegians in the, in December, it's windy, it's dark. It's kind of like, it's kind of nasty. And I think right. they either want to go training themselves and then just go sit on, sit on the couch and watch, watch it with a cup of tea. Well, the reason I bring it up, because it seems like there are, I mean, I know there are venues that can host world cups there, right. Where they could, I, I mean, foreseeably me sitting here in Bend and not having any financial stake in the game you know, they could cycle between four different venues, separate the men's yeah, and women's fields. Okay. No, and that's been discussed. Not to separate the men's and women's, but Norway has 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 communicated that to Fist that they have four venues that can host a World Cup at the drop of a hat and they're willing to And that's what, like Beta Stola, Lillehammer, Oslo. Trondheim. Trondheim. Okay. Yeah. Those are the four. So so they're willing and then Drummond for sprinting, of course. They have the organizing committee. But but that's just to kind of a yeah. But but regardless, they have four World Cup stadiums that um, are willing to to be to be online and get World Cup events done as long as they can. But again, then you then you start getting up against that two hundred people uh, limit right now issued by the Norwegian government, and how does that look? So so like I said, I think for the listeners and people at home, it's like you know just just wait till those big fist meetings happen in early October, and then I think the international calendar will be a lot clearer. Okay. Next on my notes here to chat about, cause you, we had, you had mentioned this, we, you know, we, we communicated earlier last week or late last week to talk about some of the things that were going on. Uh, 
And you discussed or brought up altitude training, yeah. which is not really happening for no. most athletes, except for our friends, I believe, in Russia. Yeah, in Russia, and maybe the Americans too. I mean, people that are in in Park City or whatever, but I don't know how much that's oh, right. happened. But, but no, it's it, this is going to be a real... Uh, you know, the Olympics is right at the, at the border of the 1800 meters. And if you lose a whole year of altitude training and then you have nine months and other teams have been fulfilling like a, a normal altitude protocol oof, for the distance races, especially like, Oh, I don't know. I, 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 that makes me nervous. If I'm, uh, if I'm Norway or, or Sweden, um, you know, Switzerland has altitude right in their backyard. Uh, the U.S. Yeah, I mean, the U.S. is so big and such a mess right now that it's hard to understand how that's going to play out. But, but regardless, people Nor- are, yeah, Norway, people are traveling. Though. Yeah, but Norway and Sweden are are not going to altitude right now, and um, for the cross for the, on the cross country side, and I'm not sure. I, I I I have my I have my doubts about that strategy, especially on the men's side, which is I mean, Teresa I think is going to win anyway. There's no, she's so good in, at altitude, um, and she has so much experience with altitude. But but a lot of these guys on the men's team, um, you know, like the days of Frode Estill and Anders Auckland, and and that altitude protocol has changed a lot. So I'm um, um, I don't know. I think Claybo looks good for the sprint because the sprint he'll be fine no matter what. But Claybo winning a distance medal. I don't, if you can't get a good altitude preparation in like Bolshinov and the boys will be hard to beat. So what do you, I'm just curious, you know, when we're right now, like eight, gosh, if I can do my math properly, like maybe 19 months off from, you know, the Beijing games. I think I'm right about that. Maybe. Yeah. Uh, which doesn't sound, I'm like, wow, that's not that no, long no, but it's already at September, all. Jason, so but, time's ripping here. It is September, September 14th, because it's the first day of school for my kids. And they already had, they were in school maybe an hour this morning when I got an email and a call. (laughs) Yeah, well, I got an email. I got an email and a phone call from the district. One of these recorded calls, they were apologizing that the the whole system had crashed. Of course. Crashed. Yeah. So it didn't take long. Okay. But that said, um, that far out, you know, from the Olympics, what could the benefit of, you know, altitude, what, what could be the benefit of an altitude camp that far? Well, out? like w- w- one I- isolated altitude camp won't give you much benefit, mm-hmm. but it's coming up with a protocol um, for these adaptations that you need. And then we don't need to get all into the physiological yeah. uh, dorkiness, but, but regardless, the fact of the matter is like a old school altitude camp to get the lasting changes um, in red blood cell, in your red blood cells, you have to stay at altitude for 21 days. Uh, essentially, but just as a general rule, it's not that's not a rule because people are a little different. But let's just use that as sure. an example. It's more than an example; it's a kind of like a guideline. Yep. Um, and that that um, and and the, the more you do that, the, you just get better at, at uh, the adaptation process. And then, of course, then you have to change it because if you if you adapt too easily, then you don't get the benefits. Blah 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 blah. But regardless, you you also have like your oxygen extraction um like like how how efficient those red blood cells how efficient you can use those red blood cells Mm -hmm. that you created all these sorts of things plus there's just so much that happens at altitude compared to sea level uh even just in how you feel mentally as well 
like figuring out what the pace is you have to get out and, and compete at. Uh, you know, you can't start a race at 1800 meters the way you start a race in Oslo, uh, cause you'll explode. And, uh, so, so these are, there's a lot of nuance, like there's the science, which is just like days at altitude to be ready, you know, you, you, like, because, you, and then, but then there's like the experience part too. Like how do you, how do you respond at altitude? Um, not everybody responds the same even if you have a 10 day, uh, or longer, let's say, like you say, you give yourself like two week, which is overkill. So let for 1800 meters, you're not going up to Everest here, but like, let's say you have like, like a 10 day acclimatization, you should be fine. But if you have no experience on how intervals feel or how races will feel it, like you, you're kind of flying blind. Like you don't know how you should start races, like how fast should you start them? If you've only ever competed at sea level or you, you've gone up to Camor, which is like just under 1400 meters a couple of times. And that, that's your experience with altitude. Like racing at 1800 meters is, is a different game. And uh, these are the, the kind of things that a lot of young athletes that are missing these altitude camps right now. And it's going to be a challenge. And you know, this is the Olympics. You don't want to go into the Olympics with like a big question mark around a lot of these big questions so and especially when other teams are are tackling those questions so it it, it adds it adds a really interesting dynamic and i mean i don't know what the solution will be it'd be super interesting to follow along yeah and again i i haven't checked in with the u.s folks in a bit here um but i know that the alpine team is over there training right the, the yeah, speed I team are. i think so yeah they're in the stelvio the canadians are in the stelvio too so okay I, mean, I don't know how that i don't even know how that works like that seems well, crazy to me but Whatever. It's not impossible. I, this, like, right off the bat, I, I looked at the parameters or the specifications for people to get visas, and there were definitely. Um, hold on one sec. I got this one of the mutts once in the office here. Hold on. Okay. I don't know if you recall. I have two rescue dogs. I remember. And they still, yeah, they're still digging massive holes. But nice. anyway, yeah, it's kind of grim. So. Yeah, so looking at the specifications, like there were some few loophole, maybe the wrong word. It's not like they're breaking the law, um, but there were some exceptions for elite level athletes and people that were members of an NGB. So, for example, I spoke to uh, Claire Egan, a U.S. athlete, right. a week or two ago, and she is in Italy. And one of the ways that she acquired a visa was that she's a member of the IBU Athlete Committee, the head of that, and so also is on the IBU Executive Committee, I believe. So they have a meeting at the end of this month, so she had to be in Europe and could get a visa. So I, I think it's possible. So, so maybe maybe we'll see some North American athletes in Europe training, if nothing else, um, this winter to do some altitude blocks. Who knows? Yeah, we'll I see. suppose they could do that also here. Yeah, yeah, they could. I mean, it's just like, again, there's just so many moving parts that they have to try and take tackle. And it, it, it just, it, it's not, um, <laughs> yeah, I like it for sure. I agree with what you're saying, like, especially like Norwegian team or like big teams with a good budget and a, and a proper, proper support staff like you you can you can work around that but there's just a lot of question marks going on here so it's the in the altitude piece i think shouldn't be undervalued especially for the distance races from 15 to 50 or from 10 to 30 for the women i mean altitude matters and having a good plan in place and then like having some experience with it is going into the olympic games it would be <laughs> 
would be something I would suggest. But again, maybe that's just not possible in the current climate. So we're just gonna have to wait and see. There's just yeah, it's a it's a, man, it's tough. Did you? I mean, I know you folks were pretty hard and true with your altitude camps and in Italy. Am I correct about that? Yeah, I know we've done a lot of altitude camps in Italy, but I mean, we've done tons in Canada as well. In the U.S., we love the U.S. Nobody loved the U.S. more than us for, for altitude Oh, yeah, training. you guys would go to Mammoth. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah we go to Mammoth and go to Park City and, yeah, no, for sure. So. so I'm curious, and I don't think it's against the rules, and I know that some of the studies show that they're ineffective, but an altitude chamber, an altitude tent, did you ever sort of exp- – Yeah, I used altitude tents. Like back in the days, yeah, for sure. And we, and we used altitude tents. And did you feel like that they were effective for you? To be perfectly frank, I just got wrecked. I got so tired. I slept mm. like shit, and yeah. uh, I was training a lot, and I just got super bagged. So, and then there was some studies that came out that um, that said that like natural altitude is actually better right. for you because you get. Uh, anyway, it's going to get all again, like too dorky. We should, we should get a physiologist on the, on the show and talk sure, about it. Sure. It's really interesting, but, but it's, um, you, you know, like the, the atmospheric pressure on your, yeah, on your body, you don't get that from an altitude sleeping in an altitude tent overnight and then just training normally at sea level. So you're not getting the same adaptations, uh, through the body. So, so we moved away from, from altitude tents. We actually had like an altitude well, not house, but like pressurized rooms that we would sleep mm-hmm. in, which was better okay. than a tent. An altitude tent's just so gross, and ugh, I'm glad I'll never have to sleep in an altitude tent again. <laughs> um, the altitude chamber, like house, kind of, we didn't have a full working house, but we had like bedrooms that were pressurized, and uh, those those worked a lot better. But it's still, you just sleep so poorly, and then it, it affects your training. Whereas like altitude camps, one, you're not ever living that high, honestly. Again, like comparing it like any mountaineer that's listening to this or climber would be like, go to the Kekakorum or, right. <laughs> or the Himalaya. And then we'll talk about altitude adaptation. But um, regardless, like if you're sleeping at like 2,400 meters or 2,600 meters, like 10,000 feet or 9,000 feet, let's say, that's high. I mean, we don't even sleep that high. But, okay. um, you know, look at the top of Deer Valley or something. It's um, – you're it's uh, – you don't sleep as well as at home, but it's not awful, awful, you know, whereas like an altitude tent, like there's a lot of guesswork too. And we were sleeping with like pulse oximeters and, and that sort of thing to check on. So it's beeping all the time. You had like alarms going off and it was just, was, oh, was, fun. but, but we did gotcha. this for, we did this for a number of years. It wasn't just like we tried it for like a week and then we're done with it. Like it was part of our, it was part of our protocol when I was a young senior for sure. Um, but they are illegal in Norway. It's, it's oh, really? fully illegal. Yeah, it's fully illegal in Norway. So, so Norwegian athletes can't use altitude uh, simulated altitude. It's against okay. their their uh, ethics. So, okay. For so, some reason, I have not looked at the rules recently in terms of like whether or not it's banned. But I don't think WADA bans it outright. It's banned in Norway. No, no, no. WADA okay. doesn't ban it, but it's banned in Interesting. Norway. In Norway, it's totally off the table. Honestly, if I was coaching an elite team, I. I I wouldn't suggest uh, using altitude tents. I think that's a, there's better ways to, I think natural altitude is just way better. Okay. So another thing that's, that's obviously come up in the news cycle a little bit here and there for us for about a year and a half at Fester Skeeter, because we've covered the whole concept of fluoros and fluoro waxes and those problems. Um, Yeah. What's, what's, 
what's going on in Norway when it comes to that uh, whole, what seems to be a little bit fuzzy right now. They were supposed to have a yeah, meeting with a pro, with, yeah, go ahead. There's, well, there's, you're, you're just about to get to it. They were supposed to have a test that was, that was fairly bomber ready to go. And of course it's delayed and it's not ready and the season's coming up. And then like, if you're going to have like the honor system, but have <laughs> right. <laughs> world cups like this, like that's ridiculous. Uh, but, but you know what, like, but subjecting all these wax technicians to harm, very harmful chemicals is also ridiculous. So uh, it's a, it's a tough balance, but uh, for sure, it, it was good in uh, the idea was good. The philosophy around it was probably good, um, but how you're going to, how this is going to work in practice um, when you have no test ready is kind of hilarious and they need to get their shit together because people. Yeah, I thought for sure and that this would all be pretty dialed. I mean, I think the Germans are running the show. Yeah, I thought so. it would be dialed too, but it's but they've they've come up with major problems lately, and and I'm not sure they're going to again. It's the time the time's going right. I mean, like it's mid September. Are you going to have this ready to go by by late November? And if you don't, are you going to change the rules in the last minute, and everyone's going to have to dig out their fluoros that they've put into storage or whatever they did with them? I mean, like it, wax companies aren't producing as many fluoros or any, uh, well, they're not supposed to anyways, <laughs> um, in the future. So then you're on this like kind of secret stash that people have. I don't know. The whole thing is like, uh, again, like really interesting idea, good philosophy, especially with the health of, of the workers and, and the, for the environment as well. Um, but in practice, oof, uh, we've dropped the ball a little bit. So I hope that they can pick that ball up right now. It seems like that ball has not just dropped, but they, it's fall down a ravine and it's in the brambles. They need to go, they need to go through those thorns and try and find that ball. <laughs> okay. So I'm just looking through, I feel like we've covered a ton here. Anything I'm like missing that we can't talk about later in the month. No, yeah, no. I think I think this is just a good reintroduction to to the whole project. And, and again, like, please come back with some questions and, and any topics you'd like us to expand upon. We're going to try and get some interviews and stuff going too to try and get some other people on and and yeah, and talk through some things. Especially with all this uncertainty, it seems like a good a good moment to do that. So fire fire in your questions and. And uh, we'll do our best to, to answer them. But I hope there's going to be some cross-country skiing happening this winter because I'm, yeah. I'm still in Nordork. So let's, let's, uh, let's see, how it'll, see how it'll shake out. So I am kind of curious, like maybe, and maybe I'm, this is just more acute here where I live right now because it's, at least for me, I've, I've just holed up in the house because of the smoke and wearing a N95 filter, you know, over my mouth and nose when I'm going outside because it's pretty bad. But there seems to be a lot of time spent reading, at least over the weekend, watching things, reading, fairly sedentary. I'm just curious, like during this pandemic, did you pick up a book, watch something where you're like, yeah, this is amazing. <laughs> something to escape with. Yeah, I, I still have a New Yorker subscription, so that keeps me busy with reading. Um, and That's hard to get to weekly. Yeah, no, it is. It's, it's hard to get through, but I love it. I just love it. Yeah, uh, I think the articles are amazingly well written and I, yep. I love it. Um, but uh, I actually read a book that has a dorky name, but um, it's called The Passion Economy. And uh, he, he's a New Yorker contributor, but he also is a founder of Planet Money, an NPR podcast. We've talked about that before, you and I, yeah. uh, Adam Davidson. So he... 
he, oh, yeah. he, he wrote a book and I, I just read that. I thought it was interesting. Um, and, um, so that, that was, it was actually like fairly interesting. Um, is he an economist by training or just has covered no, it for he's years? A journalist. Yeah. He's just a journalist. That's, uh, way, way into it. And, um, Ben Rhodes's book, the world as it is, I finally got to that and I thought it was fascinating. So those that are super bummed with like the political situation in the U S it wasn't always that bad. And, um, Ben Rhodes is the, was an advisor to Obama, a speechwriter actually. So he was the, one of the lead speechwriters for Obama for a couple, for some years during the, and he was with them for the entire Obama presidency. So I read the world as it is. I thought it was awesome, really well-written, really interesting. Uh, so I really enjoyed that this summer. And then on my nightstand, I have a couple um, Norwegian books that I'm reading. One is called, it actually has an English title, which is kind of funny, but the book's called Wonder Boy. <laughs> uh, hmm. And it's by uh, Henrik Langeland. So L-A-N-G-E-L-A-N-D. It's it's interesting. So I'm reading some Norwegian novels as well. I, I'm always reading something. I, my if you went to my house and then looked at my book stand, I'm that classic, like there's way too many books and, and with a New Yorker subscription as well as school, all my like physio uh, textbooks and stuff. Like it's uh, yeah, I need more time in the day. <laughs> well, that's good. Um, yeah. It's uh, we all, we all need some diversions at this point and we're, as I try and stay political, I'm like, what can we do here at Faster Scooter? Just people need to like, they do need to make arrangements so they go out and they vote. Yeah. And uh, this is super important for Americans because the whole world is watching and like, let's get rid of the dumpster fire. There's enough fires in the Western states. Let's let's put out the dumpster fire, please. We The world would appreciate it. <laughs> oh, boy. Tough times here. Tough times, yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. Well, thanks for your yeah, time. For sure. And thanks. we'll connect. Okay. Yeah, thanks, man. See ya. Bye. Thanks for listening to the podcast. And remember, if you have questions for Devin, you can reach him at devin at fasterskeeter.com or just send general questions to jason at fasterskeeter.com.